turn to Psalm 33. And that's where we'll spend most of our time. But if you want to put your, your uh, finger in First John there, um, where John read, that'd be fine too. I'm going to ask my wife real quick if you could angle that camera. I forgot to do that. So Psalm 33. Uh, it's a joy to actually speak to your face. The last time I preached, I spoke to a camera, and it was a, not even live, you know, it was just being recorded. So uh, it's, it's nice to see eyes. Uh, I was a teacher for 12 years, so to think about talking to a room when there's no people in the room uh, is, is a bit sad. So I'm so glad, even though I can't see your faces most of the time, I can see your eyes, uh, which, which helps you kind of see when people smile and get a little feedback from from the eyes, which is, which is nice. Um, so I, I love this. I love being here with you. I love meeting together. I love gathering. Uh, so one of the reasons we moved to Ireland is to, to see new churches started. And just we're, we're just kind of in, in hog heaven. Is that a phrase here? Hog, hog heaven. Uh, we're excited. We're excited <laughs> to be here. Um, to, to, to see the Lord begin and uh, continue, I should say, this work in Passage West. And so it's a privilege to be able to to share God's word with you this morning. I actually read some of these verses last week, and I've been meditating on them all week. I didn't even know I was going to preach on them last week when I read them, but then the Lord just kind of moved me to, to this, this bit. But before, uh, before I read all of Psalm 33, let me just pray. Father, we just thank you that your word is real, that you have revealed yourself to us in it. And we need your help to see you in it this morning. So by your spirit, would you enlighten our hearts? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read all of Psalm 33, but we're going to just focus on the last few verses. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise that fits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song, play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens are made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hopes. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be, he commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plan of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven, he sees all the children of men. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army, a warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. The whole, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. On those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in the family. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him, because
trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. This is a song of praise. Probably was sung at the New Year, or maybe at harvest. Uh, it's, a, it's a recommitment of the community together. And you can see there, even at the beginning in verse 1, it starts off with praise, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. And it moves on then in verse 4, it talks about the Lord's perfection. For the Lord, for the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. We then see that the Lord is creator. In verse 6, it says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. He's the creator. And then we see that the Lord rules. Verse 13, the Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of men. He's the one that looks down and rules this world. He is sovereign and in control. But that brings us then to verses 18 to 22, which is going to be our, our focus here. If you've ever had surgery, hopefully not, but a lot of us have had surgery, and, and you put yourself in the care of a surgeon, you're trusting that they know what they're doing, that they have an education that actually serves them and will serve you. Uh, and if you haven't had surgery, though, all, all of us have had, have had a mother. Some, some mothers care for their children differently than other mothers, and some mothers care for their children better than other mothers. But we've all been under the care of a surgeon, or a mother, or, 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 or a teacher, or, or some caregiver. The, the issue with those people is all of those people that might have cared for us do so imperfectly. Their love fails us, no matter how much they might love us. Dare I say, there's lots of mothers in the room, but I know, like, your love is not perfect. It's, it's not unfailing. But when we look at this song, when we look at the love of God, we see that it is unfailing. It does not fail. And so I just have two points. The first point is the reality of God's love that we see here in verses 18 and 19. And, and the author, he says, Behold, in verse 18, or look, or, or even, even the idea, it's, it's, it's but, there's a contrast there, and he's contrasting the reality of the world to something else. The world has to trust and put its hope in the systems of the world. Like, the governments of the world, that's a scary thought. Putting your hope and your trust in the governments of the world. Or the weapons of the world for our safety and our protection. Even for the prosperity, we, we look to, to government to, to help us with our prosperity. But the reality is all of that is a false hope. In verse 17, it says, The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by it, its great might, it cannot rescue. It cannot rescue. It cannot give you protection. And so the question we want to think about is then, is the, is the unfailing love of the Lord yours this is that what we are hoping in this morning? Because we need protection, not just physical protection. We need our spirits guarded and protected. We need our souls rescued. And there is nothing in this world that can do that. And so what are, what are you hoping happens when you die? What are you, what are you hoping makes you right with God? Are you, are you trying to conjure up some rescue plan of your own? 
Are you trying to say the right prayers or do the right things or go through the right motions? Verse 18 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. That idea of the eyes of the Lord are on you, that's a metaphor for, for just the fact that he cares for you. He cares for you. What it's not saying, it's not saying the Lord's watching you. He's going to strike you down when he sees you. He's got his eye on you. That's not what that's saying. It's saying that the Lord, the one that does not slumber, who does not sleep, is caring for you. It's the same God who the psalmist says is perfect. He's a creator. He's a ruler. And he cares for you. He cares for you. He's not indifferent to his people. You see, our problem, you and me, our problem is that we depend on things that are undependable. And we trust things that are untrustworthy. And we hope in things that fail us. But if you're part of the people of God, our hope is not in this world. It's in the steadfast love of God. Is what verse 18 says. His love is unfailing. It's true. It's unending. God's love is real. It's not something to fret about. It's not something to question. It's not something to worry about. The psalmist wants us to be aware. He says, Behold, it's not wavering. It does not fail, his love. Look at it. It's different than everything else in the world. It's steadfast. It keeps you. It does not move. It's steady. That's the love of God. But why? Why is his love steadfast? Why is it unfailing? Well, well, John read for us out of 1 John, and you can turn there if, if you want, you keep your hand in, in, in Psalm 33, but 1 John 4, 8 tells us, I'll, I'll go back a little bit, um, a couple times, but 1 John 4, 8 says that God is love. So why is God's love unfailing? Why is it so steadfast? Why can we trust in that? Well, he, he is love. So it's not just that He loves. It's not just that God is lovable. The reason that love exists is because God exists. If God didn't exist, then love wouldn't exist. And so God's love is unfailing because God has no end. So the one that has no end is love. And so therefore His love exists forever. It's unfailing, because He is unfailing. It will never cease to exist, because He will never cease to exist. The love of God is perfect. But it isn't just that He looks down on us and He's like, Oh, I just love you guys. It's not just a warm, fuzzy feeling. It isn't just this emotion that God kind of sends our way. You know, that's kind of a saying, when sending love your way, um, kind of when people don't, can't say that we're praying for you, they have to say, like, I'm sending love your way. Um, that's not what God does. Because God's love doesn't just observe us. It doesn't just observe us. His love takes action. Look at verse 19. That he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive. In fact, you'll notice that he's talking about the people of God here. Behold, the eye of the Lord on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive. 
in famine, God's eyes is on those who fear him. So who are the people of God? It isn't all people. All people are God's people. Everyone does not hope in the love of God. I mean, we know that. It might be you this morning. You might not be hoping in the love of God. So who are God's people? It's a particular people. It's not just all people. They're the people of God. Who are the people of God? And why do they hope in God's love? Like, who are these people? And why are they hoping in God's love? You see, God's people are when... We, I'm sorry, we see God's people when we look at His actions. When we look at the action of God, we start to see who the people of God are. And so if you're in 1 John there, and you look at the next couple verses from verse 8, verse 8 tells us that God is love, but then verse 9 and 10 say, In this the love of God was made manifest. It was shown to us. The love of God is shown to us that God sent His Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin, the perfect sacrifice for our sin. That's the action of the love of God. We see it again in Romans 5 8, but God shows His love to us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God shows His love. He demonstrates His love. He enacts His love. So how did He reveal His, his love to us? He sent Christ to die for us. The people of God are those who are trusting in that. They're hoping in the steadfast love of the Lord, the love that enacted salvation. That's the people of God. It's those who are trusting that. Is that you this morning? Are you trusting in the steadfast love of God? Holy and complete. But not only does the love of God bring deliverance, it sustains us in life. It preserves you. Nothing separates me from the love of God. It's unfailing. No storm in life can thwart His love. He keeps us alive in family. He keeps us alive in family. Romans 8, very familiar passage, 38 and 39 says, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know who I hope believes that today? I, I hope believes that today is, is a family that we love in Tallahassee, Florida, who lost their 22-year-old son in a farming accident a couple weeks ago. I hope they realize and believe that. And I think they are. And our communication with them, they're resting in that. But every day, stepping out in faith, that God is not separated from them because they've lost their son. As tragic and as hard as that is. The lies of the enemy don't separate you from the love of God. The brokenness and mess of your own heart doesn't even separate you from the love of God in Christ. It doesn't say that there won't be hard times, because what does the verse say? Look at verse 19 again. He keeps them alive in the famine. The famine's there. The 
famine comes, the lean times come, the sorrow comes, the fear comes, the disaster comes, the pandemic comes, the tragedy comes, but he keeps us alive. He keeps our spirits going. That's not a guarantee that we live through all those things even. It's just a guarantee that he will love us to the end. And as the people of God, he will bring us to himself. Behold the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. God's love is a reality this morning, and it is unfailing. It's unfailing love. My second point is, what's the result then of God's love? If his love is a reality, what's the result of God's love? Of hoping in this steadfast love. What happens to a people who know that God will deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine? What kind of people does this produce? What kind of people does this produce? I think this almost tells us it produces a communion. It produces a God-centered, gospel-focused, joyful, self-sacrificing community of Christ's followers. A community that waits with expectation, that rejoices together, and hopes in the love of God. How do we know that? Well, look at the verses. Look at verse 20 to 22. And, and look at the pronouns used. The, the pronouns. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in Him, because we trust in His holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us as we hope in you. Have you ever been to a sporting event of any kind when your team is losing? I'm frustrated when your team is losing. But then have you been to that same sporting event? Maybe you've been playing. And that team starts to rally for the wind. And you watch the score creep closer and closer to a tie. And it pass into being the champion, the winners. The energy and the unity and the single purpose of the fans in that sense is pretty amazing. If you've been in a large stadium or something and you see that experience, that happening. It's like your family just multiplied to thousands. You could be best friends with the people around you. You're screaming with them. You're high-fiving them. Right? You're giving people hugs that you don't even know. You're so excited because you have this unity of purpose. It's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> when you think about it, we can get so excited about that. That's the image here. But it's not ridiculous. It's glorious. It's so much greater and wonderful than any community we can have on this earth. The love of God unifies people. And it unifies people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And it does so across the ages of time. We're unified with Paul and Peter. With Lazarus and Martha. Titus 2 says, Christ gave himself, I love this verse, Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's what Christ came to do. He bought himself, redeemed, he bought us back. We believe in him for his own possession. A people 
Peter says something similar. In, in 2.9 he says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So when the psalmist there in verse 20 says our soul, he means our soul as a community. That's what this psalm is. It was a psalm that was sung in community. We are together. We are a family. We are unified. In Christ, we are His body. He is our head. If you are in Christ this morning, you're not alone. Even if you have no family. Because this is your family. That is the beauty of the community of the church. We are a people that live life together. This is your tribe. These are your people. Look how diverse we are. We have people from all kinds of nations. The whole age spectrum is among us. Socioeconomic backgrounds. And yet we're all here together to worship Jesus. Because we're the people of God. If we're trusting in Christ. I love that. And we should rejoice in our diversity. And we should also cultivate relationships in this group right here. Think about having someone over for a meal. Just to get to know them. Our tribe. Our family. We have this new tribe in this room, this new family. And we need to get to know each other. You're always welcome in our home. We live up the hill. <laughs> you don't have to bring us. Just come. Drop by. We'd love for you to do that, honestly. We want to get to know you. And we don't just gather on Sunday because of a common interest. This isn't a tennis club. It's not a sport. It's not bingo. That's not why we gather. We gather because we're a family. You might be thinking to yourself, oh Lord have mercy, my family's messy. And a challenging disaster. And that's what family is. We're, it's not clean. And this isn't going to be clean. And we're not going to always get along. We're going to disagree. But we trust in the unfailing love of God, not the unfailing love of each other. And we constantly point each other toward the unfailing love of God. But we are His people. And we are chosen for His possession. We want to strive to live that out. And so, what do God's people do? What do God's people do? Look at, look at the verse 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He's our help and our shield. We wait for the Lord together. We wait expectantly for God to help us and to shield us. He's our help. He's our shield. Together, we take the of course attitude. Of course He's going to defend us. Of course He's going to come to our aid. Of course He's going to help us and love us. We should never be surprised when we watch God provide for our family around us or ourselves. We should never be surprised. We should always be amazed, but it should never be shocking to us. He's our help. He's our shield. Ultimately, we wait for the fulfillment of all things when Jesus returns and makes everything new. And there are no more pandemics. 
and there's no more masks, and we don't have to sit apart from each other, and we can hug each other, and we can high-five each other, and we can live life perfectly together. That's what we wait for. We wait for now together. Because we need each other to push us on in faith. I need you to push me on in faith. I cannot do this by myself, and we are not made to do this by ourselves. There's a comfort in waiting together, isn't there? We wait on the Lord together. It's, it's why we don't want someone to be sitting in a waiting room when their family members in surgery by themselves. We want to wait for them. Or when someone's dying or in pain, like we don't, we don't want them to be alone. We want to wait together for things. Because there's a comfort in that. Because life is hard. And the Christian life is hard. And we need to wait together for the Lord to act together. We need each other. We need to repent of the independent attitude that we can so often have. Like I'm an island to myself and I can do my own thing and I don't need nobody in my life. We need each other. We need each other. That's one reason why it matters to gather. We're made for community. We're made to be together. And you're missed when you're gone. Please know that. Sometimes we think that when we miss church, it only affects us. That's not true. You are missed. Because we're a body. And if you think about that image, you know, if I didn't have my right arm, it would be very much missed since I'm right-handed. And that's like the church. We're, just, we're, we're together. And so you are missed when you're gone. Just know that. Know that you're missed. So we wait together. We also rejoice together. Verse 21, for our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. Why do we rejoice? Because He's trustworthy. He never lies to us. His word is always true. It's our heart, verse 21, our heart. Together we trust in His holy name, that perfect, sinless, stainless name of Jesus. That name that's above every name. We rejoice together in that name. That's why it's hard not to sing. Because we want to rejoice together. We want to be able to sing praise together. Because we're made to do that together. That's why we're, we're, we're commanding Ephesians to sing. Together. And the community of, the community of God, what we do, the other thing we do together is we hope. Verse 22. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope. In you. We can hope because of that unfailing, steadfast love. That's what steadfast means. It's unfailing. It's steady. It's firm. What are you hoping in this morning? The government? Family? Friends? Financial independence? Payments? This world will always overpromise and underdeliver. Always. As a community of God, our hope. And that hope there, when you look at hope in the Bible, it's not wishful thinking. It's not like, oh, I hope I get a new car. It's an eager expectation. As a community that we hope in the Lord's love for us, the psalmist circles back to this. This steadfast love of the Lord. He loves us. He loves us. In Christ. 
And since God is altogether different than us, his love is altogether different than ours. Our love fails all the time. His love is perfect. So we want to be a community. Let's be a community that hopes in God's love as we journey together. Together. In this life. That's a, that's a privilege that God has granted to those in Christ that were his people, were his own possession. We are the community. We're going to sing how deep the Father's love 